Brother Charlie will come for the scripture reading. Uh, good morning, church. If you all could stand, please. Turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, would thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know thou didst this in, thine, in the integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are dying. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, what hast thou done unto us? And why? And what have I offended thee? And thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of, the God, the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She's the sister of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, of, say of me, he's my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Please turn to Genesis chapter 20 as we continue this series in the life of Abraham. Today we take a really unexpected twist in our study of this great life. I hope you'll follow along on page 10 and 11 in our worship bulletin. And just to let you know, we're only going to cover two points in the message today. I thought I was going to preach the whole chapter. I, I have about six points. I said, well, let me do three this week. 
three next week. But we're only going to get to two today, so we'll see what happens. But let's, I'm not in a hurry, actually. The more I study this chapter, it's, it's very rich. It's very, very practical for us as well. I want to speak to you today as Abraham continues to face so many risks that he would never have expected. Life has a lot of things we don't expect, right? A lot of unexpected things. And I want to speak to you about uprooting the flaws of our faith. And that was a great song for us to have, was we need grace because we have flaws. We need more grace than we probably think we need. And we have more flaws than we think we have. So, uprooting the flaws of our faith. Abraham encourages me because he had flaws still in his life. And don't we still? I've been a Christian since 1978 and still the flaws that arise in my heart, in my actions, my words, sometimes shock me. I shock myself. And that's kind of what Abraham does to us here in this passage of Scripture. So, you know this. 1 Corinthians 13 is what chapter in the Bible? The love chapter. Hebrews 11 is what chapter in the Bible? The, the faith chapter. Revelation chapter 4 is what chapter in the Bible? The throne. My, my wife screamed that out. because <laughs> She's maybe the only one who knew it. Maybe a few others. The throne chapter. Did you know that? Revelation chapter 4. The throne of God. You want to see the throne? Go to Revelation chapter 4. But this chapter, I call the unexpected chapter in all the Bible. Because we don't even expect this chapter to, chapter to be here. Sodom and Gomorrah has been destroyed. Remember, Abraham did his intercessory prayer and then Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed in chapter 19. We expect now, okay, it's time for the son to come, Isaac. God had promised Abraham he's going to have a son. Not yet. (laughs) Chapter 20 comes between the birth of Isaac and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's why it's often forgotten in between. An unexpected chapter begins with an unexpected decision by Abraham to move. And then Abimelech, the king where Abraham goes, has this unexpected dream. And through it all, we see Abraham's unexpected flaws. We didn't expect him to still have these flaws in his life. He's had so many experiences with God. He's been used of God. He's delivered. Remember, he delivered Lot when he was kidnapped and brought far away. Abraham and and his servants formed a militia and incredibly rescued the kidnapped Lot. He's prayed. And one of the great and the first intercessory prayer in the Bible is Abraham. He's believed and God has counted him righteous. He's a saved man with flaws. The unexpected chapter in the Bible. So, this chapter, as I began to read it, just really shocked me. It surprised me. As we see the unexpected twists and turns of life that we don't expect. Sometimes things happen. we like, caught me by surprise. <laughs> so, this chapter 
shocks us as we see these, these embedded flaws in Abraham's life. They surface unexpectedly. Isn't that how our flaws often surface? We're not looking for them. But we are reminded that when we become saved, we are what? Far from perfect. If you're taking notes, there's that blank there. Far from perfect. So I say that to encourage you. You become saved, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Now we don't, we're different. We're new creatures in Christ. We don't live for sin. We don't jump into sin. But we're not perfect either. We are, like Abraham, have deep flaws and faults in our character. Some of these are embedded pretty deeply in our sinful flesh, in our nature. Maybe they're even forgotten for a time, but then in a certain situation, something happens and the old flaws seem to rise to the surface. And it shows we've got, we've got growth that needs to happen. The flesh is not fully crucified to Christ. Sometimes sinful patterns still arise. Old sins can lurk like enemies in your life. Don't forget it. Old sins can arise. Don't, get, don't, don't think you can't sin anymore just because you're saved. Let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We have to walk with the Lord day by day. Or else, our walk of faith will be put into jeopardy. And that's what Abraham does in this chapter. He's in danger in this chapter. He is putting God's plan for him and our salvation. Abraham is putting your salvation in jeopardy in this chapter. That's what he's really doing. He's putting his wife and the salvation of the world in jeopardy. Think about that. So... The good news is, grace, grace. We have access to God's grace. And we must have that access to God's grace to uproot the flaws of our faith, to walk in holiness in the fear of God. So that's my challenge to you. Uproot the flaws of your faith in Genesis chapter 20. And so let's look at two of them this morning. Just two points. The first way to uproot the flaws of our faith is to do what? Delight yourself in the promises of God. Say it with me. Delight in God's promises. You want to uproot that old sin nature? Delight in the promises of God. Second Peter chapter 1 says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." God's given to us exceeding great and precious promises, and we need to rest in them. Delight in them. And that's not what Abraham's doing here. Now, because think, think of the promises God has given Abraham. God told Abraham, through you is going to come a seed. And here's the land he's going to have. And and God showed Abraham all the land he was going to give his seed. And then he says, there's going to be nations that are going to come out of this seed. There's going to be kings that are going to come out of this seed. And there's going to be a Savior, a Messiah, who's going to come out of this seed. And all the families, every single family of the earth will be blessed through your child. That's a pretty big promise. So how many families do we have here represented? I don't know. 
but a number. Every one of you can have the blessing of the seed of Abraham. Who is who? Who's the seed that came out of Abraham that has, been, that has blessed us all? His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to be the son, the grandson, the, the ancestor, if you will, of Abraham. Has the son born yet? God's promised him the Son. But he's not delighting in that promise as we see him in verse 1. And I, I say this. I believe there's still a restlessness and a wandering to the life of Abraham when at this point in his life he should have just been resting and delighting in that coming promised seed. But there's a restlessness and a wandering in him. So, Abraham is on the brink of one of the greatest miracles of history. A 99-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife having a child. (laughs) And that child is going to bring forth, ultimately, as I mentioned, the Messiah. But instead of resting by faith, he's restless, not resting. And he acts in a way that puts Sarah, his wife, in extreme danger. And he jeopardizes God's plan. He literally puts himself in a place where he can't have a baby with Sarah. (laughs) You say, what are you talking about? let's Let's read the text. We need to uproot restless wandering. So look at the text. It says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. Now, what I love about the narratives, that seems pretty tame. On the surface, Abraham's not doing anything wrong. He moved. Is it wrong to move? It's not wrong to move. People move. But there's a right time to move and a wrong time to move. And I believe there are some lessons here for us. The next verse says, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, when he got there to Gerar, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. The dude kidnapped his wife. How is he going to have a baby with her now? See, that's what I'm saying. He put his wife into jeopardy. And he put the plan that God had promised to him in danger. Sarah is in Abimelech's harem. He should have been delighting in God's promises, I think. So let's look at this. I'm saying this, that Abraham's move jeopardizes God's plan for him to have a son, as Sarah is kidnapped. And now I ask myself, why in the world did Abraham move at this time in his life? Why did he move? Now, I I grant you, there's no specific reasons given to us in the text. So I'm going to look at the context a little bit and present to you possibilities why he moved. Two possible reasons why he moved. One, I ask this question, did he seek greater material prosperity in moving to Gerar? And both possibilities are reasons people are moving today, many out of New York City. So I thought this was practical, because as your pastor, I don't want you to move. No, just kidding. (laughs) A lot of people are moving. Now, why would he move to Gerar? Look at the text. It says he he journeyed from thence toward the south, which is called the Negev. 
and he moved to the south, and he dwelt in this area between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, this is the Philistine country. This is the Philistine country where he's moved to. And why is this significant? Because this area controlled what? Lucrative trade routes. Now, Abraham was a mighty man. Now, when Abraham says he's going to move, you think it's just him and Sarah? Hey, Sarah, let's go. We're going to move. How many people are moving with him? Hundreds. Three. He's moving three or four hundred people. Abraham is a wealthy patriarch. He, is, he has a huge flocks. He has servants. He's got a lot of things to move. He's got to move basically a small town. Let's go. <laughs> now, wait a minute. My wife is 90 years old. She's been promised to have a baby boy. Abraham, why don't you go to Toys R Us? Oh, no more no, no, Toys R Us. Abraham, why don't you go to wherever they go now? Where do you go now? Amazon. Oh, I don't know. And get a, get a stroller for the baby boy. Build him a crib. You're going to have a son. <laughs> Fix up his room real nice. Get some clothes that little boy's going to need. Isn't that what you do when you have a son? You know you're going to have a son. Have a reveal party, man. You know? You're going to have a son. Let everybody know you're going to have a son. Get him a car seat. No, they didn't have cars. Get him a car. They had carriages. Get him a seat. Put him in the carriage. And get a lot of diapers. You know, get ready. You're going to have a son. No, let's move. Because there's some... There's a nice trade route over there, and if we move over there, we'll be able to trade our flocks and our sheep and our goats, and maybe we'll be able to, maybe, I'm saying, he was acting out for economic reasons, and this much we know, God did not tell him to move. Doesn't say it in the text. Abraham is acting on his own initiative without leading from the Lord, and it says he sojourned. He journeyed from thence toward the south country, and he sojourned in the Gerar. The last time that word is used of sojourning, guess where he went? Egypt. And he told the same lie and got in the same problems. Didn't work out well. So it kind of reminds me that he's probably not doing the safest thing right now. So here's the map. And you can... You can see this. So here is where he was up in Mamre. He was up in this part, Mamre. And he moves down here to Gerar, which is right on the edge, the, the, southern, east, it's the, the southern edge of Palestine. And this is down into Egypt, of course. And this is right in the Philistine country. So he moves from Mamre to Gerar. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to move. Don't misunderstand me. But I am going to say this. If you move only to make more money, be careful. Make sure you have a good church to go to. Make sure when you move that you're going to find a place of worship and fellowship with God's people. Don't just think about money when you move. A lot of people do. Oh, I have a job there, so I'm going to move. 
There's a lot more to move. What about the, the school for the kids? What about a church for your family? What about a, a place where you'll be able to grow spiritually? There just seems to be a lack of contentment as I read this verse in Abraham. Here's some great verses. 1 Timothy 6.6 Godliness with contentment is great gain. Greater than material and economic prosperity is godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? Because if you have godliness with contentment, you have rest and you have peace. And that's better than, you can't buy that with money. Now, I'm not saying make it, having a good job is wrong. Obviously, I'm not saying that at all. But if your goal is to be rich and to be a millionaire in this life, beware, the love of money is the root of all evil. So let your conversation, not just your words, but your behavior, your manner of life, be without covetousness and be what? Content with such things as you have. So if you're going to move... Make sure you move with a content heart. A lot of people are moving out of New York. It's tough. With the pandemic, the lockdowns, the passports, the masks, the schools, the different things. They say, I'm going to go. Somebody said, move where it's free. Move to Florida or something, you know. And a lot of New Yorkers are moving to Florida and Texas. And I'm I'm not saying that's wrong. But if you're going to move, you pray about it. Let God lead you. Don't just on a whim move. Don't move in the flesh. Don't move because you're not content. Don't move with a restless heart. Because some people are just constantly restless. They're on edge. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're worried. There's a lot to be worried about today. Rest in the Lord. We still have the promises of God. Delight yourself in those promises, dear friend. So why did Abraham move? Another possibility is, I wonder if he had a cynical spirit in moving further from Sodom and Gomorrah because, as I mentioned, Sodom and Gomorrah was just lit on fire by God. And I thought about Maybe, maybe the smoke of Sodom and Gomorrah, he could see it rising up. And he could even smell it as the wind wafted that smoke over to his region in Mamre. He said, i got to get out of here. Do you remember the smell of 9-11? The smoke just keep going up for months. It just smoked. And that smell was a smell like we never smelled before. It was the smell of, of death. It was a difficult time. I remember there was a family who lived across from the Twin Towers and they were watching out their window after that first plane hit. And they were watching. And then the second plane hit. And they had a little baby boy and she was pregnant for her, with her second. She said, let's go, we're out of here. Because they were watching the people jump out of those buildings. And they got into a, a, ship, a boat, one of those ferries, and went to New Jersey with the clothes on their back and a wallet in their pocket. That was it. And I visited them after that and prayed with them and see how they were doing. They said, we're out of here. We're going to move. We can't, we, we can't live here any longer. I understood that completely. I understood that. 
Maybe this is what was moving Abraham. Maybe he says, I need a safer place to live. But let me ask you, as he moves maybe further away from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, did he get out of danger? (laughs) His wife got kidnapped. (laughs) How'd that work? And not only did his wife get kidnapped, but he, he almost gets Abimelech killed. Abimelech's going to talk to him later on. He said, well, Abraham, what in the world can you do to me, man? You almost got me killed, man. <laughs> you know, by your behaviors. Did you almost ever get somebody killed? Abraham did. <laughs> so Abraham says, when he gets there to Gerar, you know what he said to himself? Look, look down in verse 11. Here's what Abraham said to himself. He said, these people in Gerar, they don't have any what? Verse 11, what does it say? They don't what? They're in Gerar. They, they don't fear God here. And Abraham is self-righteously making this judgment, and we will see that that was not actually true. Now, they weren't, they weren't ch- choir angels, you know. They weren't angels in choir singing in the choir. Abimelech wasn't singing in the choir in his church, you know. But we'll see that there were, there were still moral lines that Abimelech knew were wrong, and he knew adultery was wrong, actually. Abimelech knew kidnapping is okay. <laughs> but adultery, no, I'm not going to cross that line. But you know, unsafe people are like that. The world we're living in, they may, they may say things that are, we know are clearly wrong. Maybe they don't believe are wrong. But then there's lines that say, oh no, that's wrong. Which shows that there is a God because to have a moral compass, to have a moral law in your heart even shows that there's a God in heaven who keeps people back and we'll see that. But Abraham perhaps had a cynical spirit in moving further from Sodom and Gomorrah. He was on edge and anxious. Maybe he thought all the kings of the earth are like the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't trust them all. I don't trust any of these politicians. <laughs> a little bit of that attitude around, right? I don't trust. They're all, they're all greedy. They're in it for themselves. Maybe they are. So I'm going to just, I'm going to tell them my planned lie. And what's my planned lie? It's kind of true anyway. You ever say, it's a half-truth. It's just a white lie. It's not that bad. I'll tell the king of Gerar that Sarah is my, my sister. Now, was that true? Actually, it was true. Because they had the same father. They didn't have the same mother. We don't know who the mother was of Abraham or Sarah. We know the father, but not the mother's. Anyway, he said, it's kind of true, but it's not true. Why? Because he is giving the impression that Sarah was his sister, period. And he was hiding the truth that Sarah was his wife. Now, you say, well, how in the world could they get married? Well, the law of Moses hadn't been written to not allow these kinds of close relationships. But before the law of Moses, people did marry into closer relationships than what we would consider proper. But anyway, so 
He tells this story. That's the lie he tells in these situations. And he says, she's my sister. And so the king of Abimelech sent, and he took Sarah. So I say, he's in a mess. Don't you think he's in a mess right now? How is he going to have a baby? How is the promise going to be fulfilled to, to bring blessing to the whole world? Abraham has put, it all, put us into jeopardy. <laughs> so I say, let's be content. Let me ask you a question today. And ask yourself, ask yourself, are you restless? Are you just saying, I've got I to gotta move. I've got to go. I've got I to gotta get out of here. And there's just a nervousness and there's a lack of quiet in your soul? If so, get into the promises of God and find peace and tranquility and contentment in the Word of God. Because you can have peace right now. You know why? Jesus offers it. See, but I'm not married yet. I can't have peace until I find the right person. You can have peace right now. Say, but I'm married. You see... You can have peace too if you're in an imperfect marriage because most marriages are pretty imperfect. You have to have peace with God and peace from God, not in our circumstances. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 and then we'll move to the second point. Philippians chapter 4. And I just want to read a few verses there with you. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And these are great verses. If you're struggling with contentment, if you're finding, feeling a restful tranquility in your heart difficult, if you're worried and wandering, okay, if you're worried and wandering, I say to you, be rooted and find rest in Jesus Christ. And Philippians chapter 4 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Verse number 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Whatever state, whether you're in New York or Florida, you could be content. Whatever condition you're in, whatever your circumstance, they say that the state with the least population is the state of contentment. Paul says, I have learned through life's trials and experiences. Where was he when he wrote this, you know? He was in prison and he still was content. Not worried, but resting. And then he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, my contentment is not based on my what? My financial condition, how much food, the food I'm eating in the fridge. My contentment is based on Jesus Christ because the next verse, say it with me, we know it. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So that does not mean you can go to the Empire, top of the Empire State Building and I can do all things through Christ and jump off and fly. No. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you can learn how to be content. And whatever circumstance you're in, if you're single, if you're married, if you're young, if you're old, if you're in a nursing home, or if you're walking free on the street, be content. Be rooted in Jesus Christ. Rest in Jesus Christ. 
Don't be nervous, worried, and wandering with your life. The second thing I want us to see is depend in God's providence. Depend in God's providence. When I say depend, I mean trust. And this will uproot the carnal scheming from our life. Carnal plottings and schemings where we're just trying to figure everything out on our own without God's help. We need to uproot that. And Abraham is still dealing with this. When, now, when I say God's providence, do you know what I mean by providence? Do you know what I mean by that? This is actually a huge subject. This is why we're just dealing with two points today. Because it's such a huge subject in the Bible and it's very beautiful. But providence is His active involvement and His intervention in our lives. Do you know that God is actively involved in your life? I hope that God is speaking to your heart today. I hope you're listening. God is actively involved and He is intervening in your life. None of us are even here today by accident. God is preserving us and He's protecting us. He's guiding us and He's governing our lives. All for His ultimate glory and our eternal good. God's providence And I love those two words. He's involved in your life. He he is intervening. He He has providence in our lives. He's working out everything for His own glory. And just generally, when I began to look at this matter of God's providence, you know what God uses to show His involvement and intervention in our life? He uses so many things. He uses dreams. In the Bible, he does here. He uses sleepless nights. Remember the, the king in the book of Esther. He uses hailstones from heaven in the book of Joshua. He uses falling walls. Falling walls to show he's God. 1 Kings chapter 20. He uses wicked kings like Pontius Pilate. He uses random soldiers. Remember the guy who just, I think I'll just shoot that arrow over there. Bing! Ahab, you're dead. (laughs) Certain man drew a bow at a venture. That's one of the great verses of the Bible. God is God works and He intervenes in this into the things of this life. He's involved into the into the affairs, into our daily affairs. We don't see Him, but He sees us. He uses all these things. And we see the providence of God in the book of Job with the great trials he went through. In the book of Esther when God isn't even mentioned, but he's at work in every page. We see it in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And all of this teaches us that God's providence rules even in our darkest days, in our darkest moments. God is at work intervening in our lives because He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world who went through the terrible suffering for our sins. And yet, God was providential over it all. Working it out for your good 
in His ultimate glory. So even when evil men and Satan and sin and all of hell itself seems to break loose against us, sometimes in life it seems like everything's just breaking out against men. God is in control. That's the providence of God. And Abraham forgot that. He didn't depend on God's providence to take care of him. Abraham says, I've got to figure this out on my own. I've got to tell this lie. And, and we're really surprised at this. Like, Abraham, haven't you grown past this? We're surprised that Abraham had not grown beyond making the same mistake. He already made it back in Genesis 12. For those of you who missed this message, this is the second time he did it. And we think that after all he's been through, he wouldn't repeat the same demonstration of human fear and a lack of faith. When, it, when he did it back in Genesis 12, he was young in the Lord. And he risked Sarah's life then. Now years have passed. Will he do the same stupid thing again? Yep. <laughs> and you know what? So do we. So do we. It's amazing, too, how Abraham says, well, they have no fear of God in this place. And we're going to get more into that, but to me that's very amazing that Abraham is accusing other people. They don't fear God here. So what do I have to do? Lie. <laughs> Isn't that human nature too? You accuse other people and then you don't see your own sin. He excuses his own sin while he accuses other people of being sinners. <laughs> Isn't that something? I'm glad for the Bible though, man. It tells us these stories. We can learn so much about life. So what we have to realize is when we take matters into our own hands, we will be putting ourselves into danger and our loved ones into jeopardy. But God is still in control. He's still the God of providence. So the verses I have here, by the way, Genesis 12 is when Abraham told the same deception back in Genesis 12. Genesis 26, guess who learned from Abraham what to do when you get into a tough spot? You lie. He, so Isaac did the same sin that Abraham did. So that's where we see the sins of the fathers coming out in the children. So we're surprised there. And then we're surprised that God gives this, I call it a merciful nightmare to Abimelech. Now look at verse 3. It says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. Now, now just stop there for a minute. What is God doing here? He's working to protect who? Sarah. He's working to, to protect Sarah from getting pregnant. Because think about this. If Sarah gets pregnant, but not from Abraham, that really messes things up. And not only does he have to protect Sarah from getting pregnant, God has to, he has to protect Sarah from even the thought that anyone else got her pregnant other than Abraham. So God has to put this strong hedge of protection around Sarah so that there will be no question that Isaac is Abraham's boy. 
He's really put himself in a difficult position. So God makes, God gives this dream to Abimelech to protect Abraham and Sarah. And isn't that a comforting to know that God, to protect you, might have to do something else in somebody else's life? Isn't that something? So, so the Lord comes to him by night. And verse 3, he said, Abimelech, you're a dead man. That's what he said. He said, behold, did I quote it right? Behold, thou, uh, thou art a dead man. I didn't get the King James English there. But he, he got it. I, I think I said it pretty good. He said, Abimelech, you're dead, man. You got somebody else's wife in your harem. And he's like, oh, he did the Jackie Gleason. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, what? You know? <laughs> what? Edith! <laughs> I got them all. I, I messed up my shows there, I think. Okay. <laughs> wow. God gave him a dream. He said, Abimelech, you are dead. And God confronts Abimelech with having another man's wife. He seems ready to kill him. He puts him under a death sentence. Now, in the ancient world, a, a death by punishment, death was an acceptable punishment for adultery, even in this culture. Because Abimelech said, Abimelech starts to defend himself. He said, Lord, will you also slay a righteous nation? So by that, Abimelech is saying, you're not just going to kill me, but there's some, he, he got some kind of a sickness, and Abimelech was afraid that this sickness would maybe even spread throughout the nation. It spread throughout his house, for sure. The women weren't able to bear children. There was some kind of sickness that was preventing them from having children, so that no one would think Abimelech got Sarah pregnant. And this shows us that God is in control of life and death. And He's in control of the salvation plan. This story makes clear that God gives life and takes life. He is the one who brings forth life out of a mother's womb because it says at the end of this chapter that when God healed Abimelech, they were able to have children for the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Isn't that amazing? So Abimelech has this, I call it a merciful nightmare. And then we're surprised that God silently, yet with powerful sovereignty, restrained Abimelech from touching Sarah by touching him with an unknown illness. So look, look at these verses. Verse 5. So Abimelech defends himself. He says, I hadn't touched her. Abraham said, that's my sister. She said, that's my brother. That's what he says. Verse 5. She's my, didn't he say she's my sister? And even she said he's my brother. And, I love the alliteration here, he said, in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands, I did it. I've had, I've lived with integrity as far as in his own conscience, and I'm innocent of the charge. I haven't touched her. And both my heart and my hands are clean. 
So he defends himself before the great judge. And you know what God says? You're right. You're right. I'm going to hand it to you, Bimelech. <laughs> but then the Lord said, but the reason you didn't touch her, it's not because you're good. I kept you from touching her. <laughs> I'm the one who did. I did not. Now, here's the word. Here's the providence of God in one word. In verse number 6, what's the word that tells us God is intervening? God is interrupting the normal course of events as they would have gone. God is at work in Abraham, in Sarah, and in Abimelech. God is showing His miraculous providence in this one beautiful word. Showing His involvement and His interaction. And what's that word in verse 7? He said, For I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore I suffered thee not. I did not allow you. I did not permit you. I suffered you not to touch her. That's amazing. So God silently yet powerfully restrained Abimelech. He said, I didn't let you touch her. Now, I have a number of verses here, and I'm going to have some of them up on the screen that also bring forth this matter of God's providence where He allows things, and He doesn't allow other things. And it's really mysterious what He does allow and what He doesn't allow. But here He doesn't allow Abimelech to touch Sarah. Now here's some verses. And claim the providence of God in your life. What do all these verses teach us? Psalm 55:22. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Just think, just think to yourself, what is that verse talking about? What, is he, what will He do for us? Psalm 66, 9. He holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Psalm 121, verse 3. Famous psalm. He shall not suffer thy foot to be moved. Similar verses. All saying really the same general theme. God will what? In His providence, He will what? He will protect us. He will keep us from falling. So what do we have to do? Depend on Him. Depend on these promises of God's providence. Trust Him. You don't have to scheme your way through life. You don't have to lie to get ahead. You don't have to cheat on your wife to be joyful in the Lord. Stop scheming. Stop acting out in your flesh. Trust God. Follow His way. His way is best. But I want us to go to Psalm 16. And turn there in your Bible. And this is another verse that teaches us the providence of God. And it relates specifically to Jesus. And it's quite amazing. Psalm 16. And verse 8, he says, Psalm 16, verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. That's what we're talking about. 
that you can depend on the providence of God. That you can delight in the promises of God. You don't have to be restless and anxious and wandering and worried. You can rest in the Lord. You can trust Him with your life. He is God. And He's intervening actively in our lives because He loves us. And He showed His active intervention by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ broke out of heaven and into this earth. That's intervention, man. God intervened to save us. And this psalm says we can rest in hope. And here's our hope. Verse 10. Can you read it with me? It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. God would not allow His Son to stay in the grave. This is talking about who? This is talking about Jesus Christ. This is talking... A thousand years before Christ came to earth, this is a prophecy that Christ would rise again from the dead. This verse was used by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter said because of this, that Jesus Christ was not allowed to die, but He rose again, that He shows He is Lord, He is Christ, He is Messiah, He is Savior. You can rest in hope. This very verse was used by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13. This was one of the primary verses the Apostles used to show from the Old Testament Scripture that Jesus Christ would come back to life. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. That is the place of departed spirits. He will not allow your Holy One, His body, to be corrupt. He would be raised again. So I say to you, Live for Jesus and live out your calling. So now I'm going to close. Go to Genesis chapter 20. Back to Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. And I want to bring out two words in this verse that appear for the very, very, very first time in the Bible. Two big, important words. They both begin with a P. You should underline them. What are the words in verse 7? They begin with a P. And they appear for the very first time in the Word of God. They are the words what? Prophet and pray. And God tells Abimelech, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. I withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore, I suffered thee not to touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. If you restore her not, know that you will surely die, thou and all that are thine. So, my point here is Abraham needs to live out, not deception, but the true calling of his life, which was to be a what? A prophet. Abraham is the first called prophet in the Bible. And here's the, the first and chief ministry of a prophet. It is to do what? It is to pray. And God smote Abimelech with this sickness and his whole household with this sickness. And it wasn't until Abraham prayed for Abimelech and his household that they were all healed. And so the point I want to say as I close today is, dear friends, let's not be restless and wandering. Let's not be scheming and figuring out how to get rich quick in this life. 
Let's fulfill our calling as the children of God. As, if you will, we're not prophets like Abraham, but we're representatives of God to speak forth the Word of God and to be people of prayer. Because, you know what? Abimelech needed prayer. Abraham was in a world that needed prayer. Sodom and Gomorrah had just been destroyed. And if there were ten righteous people in that city, they wouldn't have died. So, we need to be witnesses through prayer. We need to be people of prayer because people have sickness. People have problems. We need to represent them before God. We need to pray for their healing. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to trust God to protect us and watch over us. And it was when Abraham prayed that God healed Abimelech and his family. And God showed that He loves and He cares. So, let's uproot the flaws of our faith. Let's rest and delight in His promises. Let's trust and depend in His providence. And pray, O prophet, if you could take that mantle now as a preacher of the Word of God, Because we are in Abimelech's world. We are in Abimelech's world. We are in the land of the dying. In the land that's coming under the judgment of God. There's people fearful who need healing and salvation. Let's be people of God. People of prayer. Let's stand together as we close. Lord, root out the flaws of our life. Lord, root out the flaws of my life. God, forgive us for our sins today. Like Abraham, we seem to have these old sins lurking in our soul. What sin lurks in your life? Anger? That's one that I struggle with. Lust? Pride? Hatred? Envy? Jealousy? Addiction? I don't know what it is. It's different for each of us. You have tailor-made lusts unique to your own personality. So I would just ask you right now to pray and say, God, You know I'm flawed. You know I struggle with these things. Uproot them out of my life, O Lord. Ask God to root them out and make you more like Jesus Christ. He's our goal. He's our pattern. He's living in us to live through us. We have His grace. We must have that grace. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Don't be afraid to trust God. Don't be afraid to delight yourself in His promises. All the promises of God. He's promised us heaven. He's promised us peace. He's promised us love. He's promised us joy. He's promised us power. Eternal life. Hallelujah. Take the promise of God. Take it now. And say, yes, Lord. Depend on His loving intervention and interaction in your life. You say, but I don't feel Him. I don't see Him. I don't, I don't know that He's intervening. He is. He's intervening. He's working in your life. You just have to say, yes, Lord. So, whether you feel, whether you think, it doesn't matter. He is. I'm telling you the truth. God is a God of providence. Interacting and governing, and guiding, and providing, and protecting you, dear friend. So, so embrace that truth. This is the truth. I say embrace it. Right now in your soul, say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're working in my life. You're intervening in my soul, in my, in my relationships, 
You're at work in my job. You're at work in my neighborhood. You're at work in my house. Thank You, Lord. I depend on You, Lord. So help me to live as Your servant. To pray. To walk with You and know that I could talk with You and pray. Hallelujah. Has God spoken to your heart today? Just put your hand up. God has spoken to your heart. Put your hand up and just say, Thank You, Lord. Keep me strong in the power of Your Spirit. Thank You, Lord. You can put your hands down. Is there, anyone who'd say, is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. If I die today, I have no hope I'd go to heaven. I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sin so I can be certain I'm on my way to heaven. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? Just say, pray for me, preacher. Is there anyone? Say, I need Jesus Christ to save me. Is there anyone? So, Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. As we sing our invitation song, if you feel the Lord lead you to come and pray over some of these things, to thank Him, you just step out on the first word of the first stanza. If God so moves you, I'm going to ask Sid to come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. How can I fear? 